Hey everyone, welcome to episode 48 versus media live. Uh, I couldn't think of anything other another dumb name. So I just went with Teflon. <laughs> uh, it's a, it sounds like um, Marty McFly's Japanese boss from uh, Back to the Future 2. McFly! Uh, but it's uh, obviously a plan words on Teflon because uh, what we're seeing in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian is something I think anyone paying attention was expecting, which was they're trying to pin any and all damage on anything that uh, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, is doing. And uh, it's coming from everywhere. Uh, we saw Maggie Haberman is trying to do this uh, this morning. Uh, it's, so it's come from the New York Times. It's coming from that fucking weirdo in the Grim Reaper costume down there. It's coming from Joy Reid, who compared him to a segregationist when DeSantis basically warned him not to loot houses. Um, it's it's all of these accusations are just flying fast, furious, and uh, absolutely none of them are sticking because the reality on the ground where there is enormous devastation in some of these places, um, there's entire like beach communities that are just gone. If you've seen drone footage and stuff, um, but the reality on the ground seems to be completely different than the uh, reality at the New York Times and other places. Um, I have a we we have another one where uh, is being pushed uh, through the DeSoto County Sheriff's Office saying uh, that DeSantis was uh, civilians are furious as relief operations were paused. It turns out uh, the DeSoto County Sheriff did they did not pause relief operations. Um, they're they're just basically trying to find anything. So I guess the question I have is obviously why are they expending so much energy to do this as opposed to, Hey, you know, it looks like things are going pretty well down there considering, uh, I think they have about what, 83 casualties. Um, and he's been kind of looking like he's just kind of touring the state nonstop. And so you would think that you could leave politics out of something like this and say, Hey, you know, this is a pretty devastating storm. Um, we're still kind of taking into account and, and counting all the damage that people have and stuff. Um, but you're not seeing that from either our national media or some of Florida's local media, which seems to just be hell-bent on catching him in a scandal or creating one. And as I said, we knew for a there was going to be some of this, and which is why I said last week before the storm that, you know, you, you hope that his team avoids that by just being on the ball. And it looks like that they were. It looks like that it was well-coordinated and things coming from out of state. <clears throat> so... Um, you're just seeing kind of the most ludicrous things coming from corners of our media that are essentially just trying to ding him. Um, over at Spectator World, uh, written by Paul Duquanier, uh, says DeSantis's critics embarrassed themselves over Hurricane Ian. And uh, I'm just going to read a bit. If you haven't read a bit of this piece, I'm just going to read some of this. Just This goes down some of the things that I've mentioned, but some that I haven't. And I already know that I'm missing some. Uh, where it says, when Ian arrived last Wednesday, DeSantis immediately did what any state governor should do, place calls to Biden, federal emergency management. He was active on the ground, meeting with local officials, and dare one say, acting positively presidential as he focused on the storm rather than political fortunes. Biden did not initially accept the call that eventually talked to him. However, DeSantis publicly thanked him for extending federal disaster relief. Um, one, just jumping in, the, one of the best things today we saw was from Politico, who said, uh, DeSantis has been a critic of Biden on nearly every policy front, but he sure does like the president's wallet. 
and he cited uh, over the past two years, admin received billions in federal relief cash. Now he's talking about one COVID. He's talking about obviously hurricane, obviously the uh, the building that collapsed, which you're also seeing as a meme go around Twitter as uh, DeSantis bends his knee to Biden to ask for money. And the fact that you have a low rent, you know, twenty something journo who's based out of Florida calling federal disaster relief, the president's wallet, uh, shows that we need a severe makeover of civic education in this country when it comes to journalists in college. Uh, Another one was CNN. He said, yeah, it wasn't CNN that had its sights set on Florida. Two weeks after dismissing DeSantis as a stuntman over his airlift of migrants to Martha's Vineyard, Politico, of course, Jack Schaefer, mock praise for the governor. Schaefer sneered that DeSantis was now acting like a normal politician instead of an excitable boy and red-toothed biter, political opportunist, and a loon. Schaefer dismissed actions that have saved thousands of lives and ease the suffering of millions as merely the latest example of opportunism, a hurdle to clear on his way back to re-election and a tryout for the White House. Um, one of the other things that we saw, obviously, and the one that Haberman was trying to push today was uh, a place called Lee County or an island was not evacuated until a day before the storm hit. And that was largely because a meteorologist shifted the trajectory of the storm. It was not originally in the storm's path. And so this was the other one they're trying to cause a controversy of and apparently pin that DeSantis controls the trajectory of hurricanes. This isn't the first time they've tried this one. They tried this one with Dick Cheney and Katrina uh, years and years ago. Um, Said, uh, Joyless, namely Joy Reid of MSNBC, tried to own DeSantis by comparing Floridians evacuated storm areas to illegal immigrants. It's a bit ironic, she said, of the prospect of law-abiding vacuums having to pour over the borders and go north in the exact same crisis we've been talking about on a trolling level uh, in that state. It said most evacuees remained within the state, however. Ian's path blocked uh, passages to the north while Florida's east coast was only mildly affected. Um, so these are just a few of the examples that we've seen. And the reason why you're seeing, obviously, all of this is because they're trying to get something to stick and nothing is sticking. Uh, that's because by and part, again, most of what they're trying to run with is either a falsehood or it's not true. Or again, they're trying to push memes or they're trying to push narratives that somehow the governor is uh, responsible for every death. And I said that they would do this last week. Um, this is, of course, it's just a setup topic. It's something that I had on my mind. Uh, if I were to record a podcast today, I would talk more about this. Um, but again, the reality on the ground is it looks like that there is pretty decent coordination between, um, it looks like there's pretty co- decent coordination between the White House, between FEMA, and between um DeSantis and his people on the ground. And it looks like for the most part that recovery efforts are are starting and they're going off without a hitch. Um, There's a video that's gone around social media today of a a resident who says that he's a Democrat, but he's voting for DeSantis because they had a fuel truck out uh, almost instantly to help restore power. Um, One of the best stories that we've seen is that he basically mobilized the entire state to get linemen pretty much ready to go. And we saw that photograph of all the electric trucks, just the the line trucks just lined up basically. And so for the most part, it looks like that this went off without a hitch and in in a normal, healthy media environment, that would be the story. But again, you're seeing from every single corner 
from people as crazy as Joy Reid to people who are considered moderate, like Maggie Haberman, to the nutballs at The View, to, again, uh, people with that DeSantis derangement syndrome on Twitter. And like I said, even to the Lincoln dudes, that um, they are desperately trying to find something. And once again, it doesn't look like they're going to find anything. Uh, he had a, he had a, an exchange with a CNN reporter over the evacuation of Lee County. And I would encourage you to go watch the clip because it, it really is him at his best, where he has a complete control and grasp of the information that the reporter does not. And uh, that's something that should he in the future try to progress his political career is going to come in handy. So um, that was just kind of the topic I was going to set uh, this off on for the night. Um, there's, there's obviously a ton going on. We have Ukraine now bickering with Elon Musk. Uh, you have Billy Eichner complaining about half the country not turning up to see his movie after he called them bigots. That was a fun one. Uh, we obviously have the White House now stepping in and the media stepping in to defend Kamala Harris's comments on equity. And that's obviously another fun one because it's like they're trying to redefine what the White House itself is meant by equity. And uh, it would be quite newsworthy if uh, suddenly they've redefined that word and that terminology to not in include uh, systemic racial disparities, which is what they're essentially saying uh, she never meant. And, th and the reason is, is because what she said could be challenged in court now. Uh, should the federal government decide to dole out uh, disaster relief funds based on race or ethnicity or, or margin, what they call marginalized groups? And so it's already kind of a busy week. There's a lot of things that are shaping up. As I noted, I have two pieces that I published over at uh, one at Examiner and one at Spectator. That doesn't usually happen. <laughs> Normally, uh, they, spread, they spread those out a bit. Um, and obviously, one was on Trevor Noah, which I've, I've talked about at length. Um, and then, of course, the other one was uh, I went a bit into Facebook and Meta once again, ramping up misinformation fact-checking efforts uh, ahead of the election. And they said they disabled two, two already two foreign inf disinformation campaigns, one based out of China and one based out of Russia, which I, I would think everyone would agree is a good thing. My problem is, is uh, I don't trust them. And we have very good reason to not trust them based on their actions in the 2020 election with Hunter Biden's laptop. And uh, Meta and Facebook certainly owe more transparency with this process and, and who's behind this and who's the decision-making process. And as I said, the face, the public face of this whole campaign is a guy named Andy Stone, who's a communications uh, professional for Meta. He's a Fort Barbara Boxer comms staffer, as well as working for the DCCC, that's the, the, the Democrat Party Congressional Caucus. And so you have someone who is clearly a political operative, who is the face and voice of Facebook and Meta's uh, misinformation efforts. And uh, that concerns me. And I think it should concern you and it should concern anyone ahead of an election where um, stories might come out that Facebook might try to either uh, devalue or uh, pause or just not show up in search results. A good example of this, or at least a reverse example, is as I was kind of getting ready and I was pulling up some notes and I was doing the stuff. Uh, supposedly a Daily Beast broke a story that Herschel Walker paid for an abortion in 2009. And this to me is kind of the perfect example of a story that Facebook should it be, uh, say, against Raphael Warnock or, say, Fetterman or Beto or something like that, that Facebook would probably put a pause on. 
until they could somehow verify it. And to this day, we still didn't, we still don't know the process that went into the freezing of the New York Post story. We don't know who was involved in that process at Facebook and Twitter. We don't know if uh, they had contact with journalists who encouraged them to pause the story or take the story down or to lock accounts that spread the story. And so there needs to be a full accounting of that incident still to this day. And I think you will see that should the GOP take the house and that would be folded into a broader investigation of uh, Hunter Biden himself. So I only, obviously I have word constraints. Uh, so I, I barely touch on it. Something I could have written longer at length about. Um, but again, because of my word constraints, it's something I was only able to touch on and throw a few facts out there, but it is something that I'm watching particularly leading up to this election and what our media efforts and in particular social media efforts are going to be uh, as we get closer. Are things like John Fetterman's health going to be censored or uh, demonetized or blocked or shadow banned um, on Twitter and Facebook? Uh, are you going to have accounts frozen or banned for simply sharing things like John Fetterman's stroke or video footage of John Fetterman's stroke, for example? Um, so these are all kind of things that are out there. And, uh, this is an issue as you know, we're now a month away from the election, a month and eight days away from midterms. So it really is kind of go time right now for all of this. So there is a lot going on. I don't see too many people, uh, lined up yet, but feel free to jump in the queue. Give me some thoughts, uh, on, on anything that I've mentioned here or, uh, anything that's on your mind, it doesn't have to be on topic. Uh, I just like to give these little setups to get your brains going and get your gears grinding a little bit. Um, so I'll probably go for, uh, we'll probably go until about, what is this, 8, 8.15. Uh, we'll probably go until about 9, 45 minutes, uh, 45 minutes, 50 minutes. Um, and uh, as always, if you decide to jump in the queue, just be mindful if, if there's anyone else behind you. I know these conversations just kind of have a natural flow to them, so some go longer than others. Um, and also just be mindful of noise, any background noise or anything like that. So if you could mute your microphone um, while we're going back and forth, that always and that always helps me, but it always just makes it easier for the listener as well. Um, so like I said, we'll probably just go for 40, 50 minutes here. It's the beginning of the week. I don't want to uh, get, you know, get you off on the wrong foot and, you know, exhausted already. Um, oh, and I guess North Korea also launched a missile at Japan. So I guess there goes that special bond we've had that the, the vice president said. Uh, okay, and just jump up here. Uh, just, and like I said, um, uh, if, you've, if you haven't done this before, the, the mute microphone's right down there at the bottom. Uh, so like I said, anything media, culture, politics related that's on your mind or you want to talk about it doesn't have to necessarily be on topic. But go ahead, Jess. Yeah. Hey, uh, can you hear me? All right. Yep. Yeah, um, you're good. Go ahead. So I live in Florida. Uh, I just uh, moved here a little while ago, actually, and um, from uh, Denver. Congratulations and, uh, on your first hurricane. And I am I am from I'm right. from Denver as well. So there you go. It's it's. It's actually my second. I used to live in the Carolinas, but um, but yeah, my first Florida hurricane. But I was in a, I was in a very, uh, I, for lack of a better term, because of geography, we were in a very safe area. I live in what's called Lake Worth. You know, directly across the peninsula from me is uh, Fort Fort Myers got destroyed. So it, I mean, it is kind of surreal when you're sitting there and you know your area is fine, and you know a two hour drive the other way, and it's it's a completely different world. But uh, I just wanted to bring up. Uh, even here locally, they are doing their best to censor 
any good news about how the recovery effort's going. It's, it's, uh, you know, and I've lived in a lot of places and I've, when I've you never... say, when you say censor, like, give me example no, of I mean, local I mean, or uh, reporters. I'm sorry. When I see you say censor, I'm just saying they're tamping it down. Like they're, they're basically you know, trying uh, to paint the worst picture possible over politics is what you're saying. Yeah, but I, Noah Blom tweeted out earlier kind of more what, what they're doing is like, because there's not, since they're not talking about how awful it is, but they're also not talking and covering the recovery effort very well. It's basically like, you know, they don't want to show him in a good light, you know, so that, you know, anything that anything to talk about something other than the recovery effort where DeSantis, you know, might have uh, played a key role. You know what I mean? So. Um, I just agree with that sentiment that living here, I can tell you that, you, you you know, all the coverage and destruction, even on Twitter, you cover, you follow all the locals. They, they're still trying to show you destruction. Look at this destruction. And they kind of, you know, say it in a vein, like, look at this destruction that DeSantis didn't stop. You know, it's kind of like this underpinning, you know, vibe of what they're really trying to say. But when it comes to recovery effort, if you're not covering, following the right people on social media, uh, Christine Pashaw would be obviously a great example, you know, because she's tweeting out, you know, um, uh, the positive stuff. You wouldn't know that there was a mass recovery effort and it was going smoothly. Yeah. And I mean, it's and it's, of course, his team's job to do that. I mean, they they work for the governor and he is he's running for reelection. So it is, of course, their job to do two things. Their job is to correct what they feel like are smears or lies or whatever, as well as presenting him in a positive light. And I guess I look at it and I say there, there is a truth here. OK. And so uh, is his team being truthful when they're out here correcting this? And from what I see, they are. And that's not that's not saying it's biased. But when you see these things like, you know, Every it's like they they throw an accusation out at him, and then his team, who is very good on social media, they're very good at just being right on the spot. It reminds me of Obama's operation in 2012. Um, I think he had like attack watch or some shit. But every time something came out of Obama from Fox or whatever, they were just right on the ball. Whether it was correct or not is not the point. And so they have this DeSantis war room that they set up for the election, and it's I mean they're on top of just about every single thing that they see. And so it's, of course, their job to portray it. But like I said, if you're seeing these multiple things where they're just they're throwing shit at him for, uh, you know, you you halted rescue operations so the governor could walk through. And then even the sheriff's office comes out and goes, well, that's not true. It's like here. And then they, that moves on. That doesn't stick. And so then they move on to, um, well, you didn't evacuate this community that's now stranded and they don't have water and whatever. And then it's then it turns out is. The reason why that county didn't evacuate and several people didn't evacuate uh, despite warnings was because the storm wasn't on track to hit them. And then we all know that at the kind of last day or that last day and a half, the trajectory of the storm shifted where it didn't hit Tampa Bay and it kind of went up and around and then it hit Lee County. And he you really need to watch his interaction with that CNN reporter because he just absolutely takes her apart and he doesn't do it uh, insulting. He doesn't call her fake news. He doesn't, you know, spray a fire hose of bullshit all over the place. He just, he says, here are the facts. Here's what we did. All of this. And she is just left there speechless because she didn't have a good grasp of what was going on. And so, yeah, his team is very good. And they're very much on the ball with these things because I think they know that if you don't push back on them almost instantly in this day and age, that those things are going to fester and those things are going to become narratives and then it becomes canon. And then it sticks with you for however long.
And so, yeah, I mean, Kershaw's obviously great at that. But, you know, the thing to remind is they, they do work for him. So they are there to spin things in a positive light. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean what they're doing is not truthful and what they're doing is correct. Um, and like I said, you, you just the looting thing was the funniest thing to me that they tried to make happen where he basically said, don't attempt to go looting. You don't know like what's in the water, what's in backyards. And we are a second amendment state. And you just saw all the people in the media try to trumpify that statement that how oh, he's encouraging people to get shot. And then they, they compared him to a segregationist, uh, you know, when the looting starts, the shooting starts and uh, that, that one's gone. That literally was in the news for Sunday. And then we're on to a new one. And then tomorrow we'll be on to a new one. And so on. And like I said, the reason they're doing that is because they're trying to politicize this as much as possible. And for the most part, to me, it doesn't really look like there's anything there to be politicized. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll, keep, I'll keep it uh, short. I agree with all that. I'll, I'll keep it short for the next part. I just want to say um, I'm tired of y'all coming after my governor for president. Y'all need to stop. Just let him be, <laughs> you know, let him let him do what he if he wants to do it. Fine. But if everyone could just cease and desist with all the, you know, oh, well, well when he's president. No, 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 no. He's our governor. And then he's going to stay our governor, uh, God willing, you know? Yeah, I, I would agree with that sentiment. And I, and I, don't, I don't agree with it as a Florida resident. Uh, I, I agree with it because politics, and especially if you get so invested into certain politicians, um, they're going to end up crushing your dreams one yeah. way or another. And so there is no real, I mean, you can argue, you know, him, him going out and campaigning for candidates on a national level and drawing crowds. Um, you can argue this thing with Martha's Vineyard was a way to raise a profile, although I think there was a legitimate point to be made there. Um, but there really, there really has not been anything spoken or even, I don't think, asked of him. Uh, on his intention 2024. Now, part of that is you're running for governor again. He's running in a campaign right now. And so you never want to say, oh, yes, I, I'll be running in three years. Thank you. And you never want to be giving signs for that because then people will simply say kind of like you did that uh, you're just giving up on our state. And why should we elect you if you're going to be if you're going to be leaving in two years or, or whatever? So there is a political game there to be played. But they're really he hasn't made no public statements on any of this. And uh, I think he's probably wise to do that. But there's no for everyone who's pushing him for president, there's no guarantee that's going to happen. And what happens when he doesn't. And let's say you're stuck with Trump again. So, um, yeah, that's where I, I that's where I encourage people to pump the brakes is until he starts giving solid indicators of his intentions, which would probably come next year, sometime next February, March, April, May, you'll start to see movement there. Um then I would encourage people like don't don't get your hope ups hopes up on something because it's you're only going to get crushed and you're going to get crushed with disappointment and uh, so that's why you don't really see me other than post the meme of him being sworn in and I only do that to show you the conditions that our media and the political left are laying for someone like him to be sworn in uh, that's not that's not a, a thing of me pushing him to be president although I think he'd be a very very strong candidate obviously. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I can't disagree. I just feel like uh, conservatives or, or really, I, I like to just say non-progressive libs should really wish they had more DeSantis's running their states. Like I would rather have a bunch of great governors and then, you know, a, a mush for brain Biden president knowing that you had, you know, 
great governors running states, but that's just me. Anyway, uh, first time, long time. Thanks for taking my uh, call. And uh, yeah, go Broncos, go America. <laughs> it's rough. I I think I think the season's over. Uh, they're they're four games in, and they just lost. They just lost. That's another. I mean, I'd love to do like a versus sports thing. Uh, not to turn it all into a sports discussion tonight uh, for people who aren't interested, but yeah, I'm four games into my to my Broncos season. I already feel like the season's over. Um, <laughs> they're gonna go 500. Um, I'm already like looking forward to next season, where it's like, hey, right, when they really get this thing gelling, which is what I think the problems are. They're they're just you have a bunch of new people who don't know what they're doing. Um, then I'm I'm already looking forward to next season, and I'm just like, all right, like we just lost our best player to a knee injury. I do think that something's fascinating in a kind of NFL to non NFL topic is just how many ACL and injuries there are. Uh, I mean, who was, there was the Giants receiver. I think Shepard was just doing a jog up the field and then did a plant and his ACL just went out from under him. And I just think about this and I think about the collective bargaining agreement, which I think softened all of these players up and it softened their, you know, the amount of conditioning that they do in the preseason and the amount of conditioning they're allowed to do. And uh, I'm just sitting here just like how I've never seen in the last two to three years this many like ACLs just get destroyed from random events. They had, they had Tim Patrick for the Broncos, uh, my favorite receiver for the Broncos, just end his season in practice over an ACL. So I don't know what's going on, but um, I, I think it's probably mainly the conditioning. So just a little bit off topic, but thank, I do appreciate the Broncos shout out. Iggy, uh, welcome versus media live. Like I said, feel free. The floor is yours. Hey Stephen, thanks for uh, setting up the room. I think uh, your 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 big premise is from a big picture point of view is uh, is one worth bringing up because, in general, I know this might sound slightly satanly obvious, or even I, I know if it's a bit patronising to some people who are well attuned to this, I forgive me, but it's worth saying out loud. Everything that you're saying here between what's the reality of what DeSantis or Florida is dealing with on the ground and how it's dealing with it versus any abstraction of the projection of that into the media sphere is what we know as direct manipulation and propaganda. And you might as well use plain language like that, because if you think about the information space now for citizens, it's information warfare. It's this thing also called cognitive warfare. That's literally how it's referred to by the DOD, NATO, Western forces. And that cognitive warfare is designed specifically around screwing with individual citizens' heads and... I would argue that if citizens don't really understand all of this, they think they know what propaganda is, but they don't know how it works. They think that they can counter bullshit narrative from the WAPO by going on social media and then getting, getting some local views from Florida, but they don't understand how social media works or what 77th Brigade is or what a troll farm is or exactly what the fuck is going on there. Then basically what citizens have to admit to themselves is that they are literally trapped inside cognitive warfare. Um, you know, an example of this would be how 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 many hours a day do people spend on their phones or devices supposedly pulling in information from about the world and thinking that they're well tuned in compared to how many hours a day they spend doing primary research on uh, the information that they're consuming so that they just fact check one article in WAPO. If they do the latter they'll probably find very quickly that the WAPO is literally lying to them every single day, right? So the question then becomes, 
you're you're referring okay. to the Washington Post, correct? When you're yes, just shorthanding yeah. it, okay. Just so we yes. make sure for the room. So, so the question then becomes: If you find out that, say, your choice of media is over over time literally lying to you, the question becomes: Do you continue to pay attention? And, or switch to a different media source, or do you actually stop paying most attention to most information and get on with your life and then just do stuff in your life? Because I'd argue that if more people did more of the latter and a lot less of the former, they would the, the media lies, bullshit, manipulation, propaganda would stop working because you're just not paying attention to it. And the fact that more people did more stuff in real life, whether that's just living or whether that's some kind of socialized project or whatever the hell they want they they manifest the future that they want in some way without being influenced by lies about DeSantis or whatever that's actually probably a more 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 productive way to to deal with the overload of information and bringing it back to DeSantis even if people are lying through their teeth through all forms of channels about what DeSantis is doing in Florida. What will really matter there is what Floridians have experienced of Ian and of DeSantis's response, and that will get taken care of in their vote. And that's the reality punching through the information bullshit, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I think you raise a lot of good points. One, I mean, you're speaking about something I've talked about at length about how I feel about Ukraine, for example. Um, I wrote I wrote one piece on Ukraine about it. Just it, this was our first social media war. It was the first. It was the first like nation state war that was playing out on social media. You saw things like the ghost of Kiev rise up, and then that got thousands of retweets to the point of drunken Congressman uh, Kinzinger tweeting it out. And it was the photo of Sam Hyde, uh, which that was the funniest thing. I can't believe he actually tweeted out the the fake of Sam Hyde. Um, <clears throat> and I've said that. If you look at my timeline, especially on Twitter, which is kind of a live feed of things I'm interested in or things I come across or things I pay attention to, um, it's largely void of Ukraine and in Russia content. Um, unless I can find like a snarky joke to make or whatever, like I just did about Elon Musk disabling Starlink over over this spat with the Ukrainian uh, diplomat on Twitter. And but this that's another perfect example. Like what the fuck are diplomats doing arguing with people on Twitter for? Um, and that was another thing I could go into about Adam Kinzinger. Um, but there's the reason why my timeline is so void of Ukrainian content is one, I hope that Russia is resoundingly defeated. I hope that they are forced to retreat and, and rethink and rethink their lives a little bit over this, um, and rethink their standing in the world a little bit. Um, that said, I don't believe anything coming out of that I see about Ukraine on social media. I don't believe anything coming out of our government on it, and I don't believe anything coming out of our media on it. I don't even share video clips. Um, and also another another part of something that's happening of why you don't see me commenting on it are the protests in Iran right now, the female protests. I wrote about them in, God, what was it, 2015 or 2016 or 2017 over at Fox. And I basically said, don't turn away from this stuff. And it was largely ignored in the press and the media. They were too busy focusing on Donald Trump overfeeding fish or something. And so now when I'm, I'm seeing protest footage and I'm seeing things on uh, social media about Iran, I literally am skeptical of every single fucking thing that I see. Uh, because whether or not they are pro-democracy or pro-feminist protesters in Iran, they too are pushing 
uh, like you said, a propaganda war. And, and I don't like propaganda from wherever it comes. It's the same reason whenever I retweet, you know, a, a pro GOP account, I have to preface it by saying I don't like blasting these accounts out. Uh, you very rarely see me retweet the RNC research account, for example, but they just turn out to be the only people that are out here showing Joe Biden has just absolute mush for brains because no one else will report on it. And so um, that's a large reason you don't see me talking about the, the protests in Iran right now. You don't see me ever tweeting about Ukraine or, or anything other than when I wrote about how you know, Zelensky became kind of a celebrity safari figure like rich celebs, Richard Branson and Ben Stiller and Jessica Chastain and Angelina Jolie all flanging to get photo ops for their mantles for him. And uh, I don't really blame Zelensky for that. I, I would like I would do anything to keep this thing kind of front page news. But um, what you're talking about as far as the propaganda goes is, you know, I'm only speaking from my own experience and um it largely exactly what you're talking about. I, I've almost just kind of tuned it out and I, I'm focusing on other things. And then, you know, when there's big news that happens, like when they, you know, the uh, Russia was pushed back and now I guess we're talking about world war three and nuclear weapons. Yay. Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm still just not even paying attention to that stuff. I, I guess we'll know if it happens, but you're, I think you're certainly right about how people disengage eventually when they just, they know that they cannot trust a source and I've said this, that this is, this was largely how Facebook and the rise of social media was largely because of the failures of corporate and legacy media. Like, you know, people just decided I can't trust what the New York times is telling me. I can't, I can't trust uh, what the Washington post is telling me. I, there's people who say, I can't trust what Fox news is telling me. And so when that happens, like you said, people just disengage and they retreat. So they go to places like Facebook and they get involved in groups where now it's just now I'm just going to read what I want from here on out. Or I'm just going to read whether it's fake news, whether it's conspiracy shit, it doesn't matter. And the only way that legacy media can basically regain a foothold is by taking hold of social media. And that's what we saw happen with the last election, where journalists essentially convinced Twitter to become a publisher for them and not for the users. Um, and we certainly saw that with Facebook where, uh, Facebook, especially, you know, Zuckerberg to a lesser extent, but certainly Jack Dorsey basically thought his job now was to push what journalists are pushing and Hey, this platform is for us. And now you see with, when you look at trending topics and if you click on a trending topic, if there's a whole blurb about, you know, Twitter's now written a blurb and then now you scroll down and they're all blue check journalists weighing in on a topic when social media was never intended to be that. Social media was a response to the failures of, of legacy media. And it, it was a response to where anybody, anybody who's even in this room, I'm counting 148 people, all of you probably have a Twitter account, except Chris Kinder. Hopefully he got his back. Um, but you all have a social media account. You all use that to push whatever you want. And I've never been concerned with that. It's you're free to do whatever that that platform allows you to do. And then journalists kind of realized that, um, holy shit, we're losing, the, we're losing the fight here a little bit on this gatekeeping. Um, we're, we're not able to just, you know, push out a story because for every time that they do that, they're now ratioed by, you know, 2000 assholes like me. And they have to know that that's the case. 
And so social media became this place where people could go and they just, like you said, they just get sucked into whatever they want to read about. Who cares if I just, if I want to read about the, the underwater politics of ancient oceanography or something, that that's what I'm going to fucking read about. And I don't care if the story is littered with thetans and mermen and things like that. Who gives a shit? And they, they try to use the specter of fake news. And now, as I've said, and this is something to me that hasn't been explored enough, is fake news has now shifted to disinformation. Um, so people pushing, you know, Trump saying it and then the media pushing it, whatever, that you don't hear fake news anymore. You hear disinformation and you hear misinformation. And of course, we know that there is no such thing as what is disinf disinformation or misinformation. It's what they believe. Um, and they're going to keep pushing that. And I, I do really think when it came to Twitter, uh, them being able to freeze the New York Post story, that changed everything. And it, cha and it should have been a wake-up call to everyone about what Twitter is now. It largely is a platform that is now controlled, once again, by journalists and, and media outlets. And that's because that's what Twitter chose. It chose those people over its user base. I would argue Facebook hasn't so much done that. Facebook is, is still a place where largely if journalists from Politico or the Washington Post complain about the exposure that Ben Shapiro has on Facebook, Facebook just generally says, well, it's all natural. It's a natural, authentic engagement. So I don't know what to tell you. And the whole reason places like the Daily Wire or Ben Shapiro have that following on Facebook, and I'll wrap up and give you the final word here, is simply for that reason, that you guys froze conservative voices out of your newsrooms, out of your platforms, out of the New York Times, for instance, or out of mainstream media. As I said, you can't, you can't watch a mainstream media program and see a pro-life or pro-gun point of view. And so Facebook allowed outlets like the Daily Wire to do that. And that's largely why they thrived is because you guys chose this path. And now you're upset that more people have decided to go down that path that, you know, you guys created. And suddenly you've learned that you can't hold the gate anymore. And so it's still to me, it's a dangerous time. Because while I think Twitter and Dorsey might have learned their lesson with the New York Post story, um, we again we have this election coming up, and we have 2024, and there and when you hear them repeating administration talking points about threats to democracy, like the Republicans or conservatives themselves are threats to democracy, or or allowing a website like Daily Wire or Breitbart, for example, or I don't even care if it's like WND or Gab or Parler, the simple allowance of these places to exist is going to be a threat to democracy. Um, you're, you're getting into some dangerous territory and whether or not Joe Biden's in charge of the government, they don't care. Um, we saw what, you know, intelligence, former intelligence guys can do. They, as Glenn Greenwald points out, they're all over, littered all over MSNBC. There is a, there is a really uncomfortable relationship right now with, uh, the intelligence community and corporate media. And they both, and they all have their guns aimed at platforms like Colin or, you know, which Colin is a free speech platform. It's the only reason I I'm on here. Um, and certainly you've seen them come after Substack. And because Substack allows different points of views or Jesse Singal is allowed to write that, hey, some of these treatments with trans youth are untested and whatever. And the simple him just simply putting that out there, uh, they now basically say Substack hosts uh, anti-democratic extremists. And so you're absolutely right about 
the propaganda that gets pushed. I think you're absolutely right that people just disengage and they just they go into that they go into listening to and finding news that they want. And I, I think largely, especially when it comes to Facebook, it's just what keeps them entertained. Nothing else. Um, you know, at, at least based on my personal experience with friends on Facebook, it's it really has nothing to do with them trying to push politics. It's just this is what is entertaining me at this moment. And again, when you are more entertained by something because you're disengaged and you have journalists who think it's their job to save the Republic. Uh, they get, they get even more antsier uh, with the fact that they're being ignored. So uh, I'll let you absorb that. And I'll give you the last word. Uh, thanks, Steve. I think I partly agree with, with, with what you're saying, but the issue for me is that you're still talking about primarily the journalist media layer. But if you get into the links that I've just provided, which include uh, Robert Epstein talking to Rogan about the man manipulation at the web level internet um, information layer, essentially how Google can manipulate your immediate, direct, ongoing personal mm -hmm. experience of the internet on a one-to-one -one basis. Right, we so saw this. To, yeah, just to yeah, Tristan Harrison Schmachtenberger telling yeah, you. Yeah, you just know, to jump in quickly, we saw this at the UN. We saw you know, UN ambassador bragging that they have, they're working with Google. They have a relationship with Google now to where they own climate science, to where if you go on Google yeah. and you type in yeah. climate change, it's whatever the UN wants you to see. So yeah. uh, that's just but, an example of what you were talking about for people in the room. Exactly. And Har Harrison Schmachtenberger are very important to listen to because people don't understand what social media is. It's not, it's nothing to do with, um, freedom of speech or individuals expressing themselves it's literally it's inverted it's about steering individuals into a time and information trap and then basically conning them into understanding or thinking that they understand an alternative paradigm to the other form of propaganda that comes from the media right so if you've got two traps and, and one of them is not even recognized as a trap, that's a better trap than the one that is recognized. That's some of what comes out of Schmachtenberg and Harris. And then I'll just explain the other two links. I was quickly involved with a bit of a loose conversation on here about somebody who said that they were, that two people who said that they knew about Iran. It turned out that one of them wasn't even in Iran, um, although they had relations, relations there. And they made some claims that I checked out, which were a bit questionable, right? And I pointed out to them, how do you know um, if the thing, the events that are happening in Iran are completely organic or, or whether they are influenced by degrees of third parties? And the Brookings Institute um, has a 2009, essentially, coup strategy document that, that the US has been uh, considering and using in various points. Um, and then the Grey Zone has literally just done an interview with um, an Iranian citizen who I think she's got a journalistic background, I can't remember now, I, I scan watched it yesterday, who basically points out exactly what the what is in the what is these points of um, the things that you're being reported about Iran are not really real. Um, there is much more nuance. There's a lot of different things going on. And she makes room for direct and overt political interference from the outside. So people people grip on reality if it stops at the media layer is inadequate. They have to understand that, say, for example, there's a book called When Google Met WikiLeaks, 10 plus years old, and it basically is Eric Schmidt pumping ideas out of Julian Assange for a dystopic future. Then, then Eric Schmidt nicked those ideas, turned Google into those ideas and sold them to the US state. So you've got to ask yourself the question, why is it that most of the uh, internet web services that the government uses, mine or yours, 
are running now on Amazon Web Services or Google Web Services. It's because Google and Amazon are the state. And then you've got other entities like Twitter, Facebook, and whatever other social media platforms, which are all co-opted by the state, serving the state to control your brain is essentially what this form of cognitive hybrid warfare is. And people don't get it in those terms. So I'll leave it there. But thanks very much. I appreciate the uh, time. It, yeah, no, and everything. I mean, yeah, everything you, you bring up is great, and you know, for for something where we only have an hour to talk about, these are all huge concepts, and they're and they're certainly not explored enough. When you said that you you left links, where did you leave those? Did you leave them in comments or? Yeah, they're just they're just um, in the chat, mate. So um, okay, so that you'll be able right. to find them. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Have a good one. Great. Yep. Great. Good. Good. Good stuff. Uh, let's see here. Bo Pierce, Ian. Uh, we'll run through the last callers here. Pierce, Ian, and then we'll end with Jacqueline, who I'm glad is still alive. Bo, go ahead. Hey, Stephen, what's up? I just noticed that uh, Brianna Joy just went live. That's fun. And I don't do this on purpose. Like, I don't, I, I mean, the thing about me on calling, I don't pay attention to anybody else. So, um, I mean, I, I listen to people's shows sometimes, but I don't really pay attention to scheduling or stuff. I kind of just do this when, uh, when I, I see fit or whatever. So it is fun. I don't I don't think that they, it's funny because I never really talked to her. Um, she's someone that I, I think she's very intelligent. She's obviously completely on the other end of the political spectrum as I am. Um, I think she's engaging. I think she's, again, intelligent. But uh, it's and this is to me one of the fun things about this platform is, you know, she can go live and I can be here and then there's other people in there and Taibis here and Greenwald's over there and whatever. Uh, but that's funny that uh, she, I'm wondering if I've got to jump live. I got to stay at the top of the rock here. Yeah, I've been on her show before and she's she is fair. She is totally on the uh, other side of the, the aisle. But um, I was just thinking uh, he was bringing up uh, the, uh, Iggy was uh, talking about social media Um I'm permanently banned on Twitter again. Uh, <laughs> what did you do, Bob? I got in a fight with Misha Collins from Supernatural. Oh, over yeah. what? Uh, it's a long story. Um, was it was it was it ghosts? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bo, Bo, was it worth it? Yeah, totally. All right, as long as it, as long as you think it was worth it, then then more power. So what I wanted to bring up was. Um, Politico today was telling everybody that our vice president didn't say equity would be how money was, um, <clears throat> excuse me, how federal funds would be used. And then the next, that very first uh, reply was out saying her, her saying equity was going to be how <laughs> money was going to be uh, distributed. This, and this then, is, a, yeah, this is a good example. Yeah, real fast. This is a good example because this is, this is how you know this one stung is you have Andy Bates on Twitter, who's taken his fair share of losses recently. Um, and uh, I'm just, just, I'm putting it out there. I'm going to crush this motherfucker on midterm night for what it's worth. I, I have, I have a folder set aside for this fucking guy. Um, but he's now pushing out PolitiFact, the New York Times. Uh, and I guess he said, and he's pushing out all the links of people who are fact-checking what Kamala Harris must have meant by equity. It's PolitiFact says, no, Kamala Harris didn't say Hurricane Ian relief would be based on skin color. Well, no, she didn't use those exact words. You're right, if we're going to be pedantic. Um, but uh, equity is basic language for systemic racial uh, disparities. And uh, I pulled Joe Biden's actual executive order that he filed on the first day of his presidency uh, from White House Gov, advancing equity and racial justice through the federal government. 
uh, quote, it is therefore the policy of my administration that the federal government should pursue a comprehensive approach to advancing equity for all, including people of color. Oh, it's funny. It's the first one. And others who have been historically underserved, marginalized, and adversely affected by persistent poverty and inequality, affirmatively advancing equity, civil rights, racial justice, and equal opportunity is the responsibility of the whole of our government executive order 13985. Um, the reason, and I'll, I'll let you get back, but the reason I, I jumped in here is because you know that this one stung them, and you know that they she she fucked up is when they jumped to put out this kind of fire, especially this close to an election. There's a reason for it, and it isn't because they are satisfied with what she actually said. Um, so you saw both the White House pushing Politifact and the White House pushing the New York Times, both of which Andrew Bates is quoted in, um, but. Again, they've been pushing this for two years. And so the question I, I use simply ask Andrew, which he won't answer, is what does the White House then mean by equity? Give me your definition, because everyone understands that, it, that what you mean when you say equity is equalizing racial disparities. That's what Ibram Kendi means when he says it. That's what Robin D'Angelo means when she says it. That's what uh, Joy Reid means when she says it. That's what Susan Rice means when she says it. And it's historically what Kamala Harris has meant when she said it. The New York Times... Uh, during the campaign, uh, Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren introduced racial equity plans. And so this would be news to a large voting section of the Democrats and the media if equity did not, in fact, mean uh, along racial lines. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Bo. Go ahead. Uh, no, you're good. Uh, in my day, I'm 55. In my day, equity meant how much money you had in a property or, or a house or something. But whatever. And then and then we get to uh, Bros, the movie Bros that made... Uh, I don't know, $17 over the weekend. Uh, and the guy, the star, I forget his name, uh, Billy uh, was just berating people before and after the movie. He was like, hey, I don't, I only want, I don't want straight white cis guys to watch this movie. And then after the movie, he's like, I really, really don't like people who watch this, who don't watch this movie. I'm just like, that's, is that the right way to get people to see your movie? Yeah, it's Billy Eichner, who um, Thank you. I had seen, uh, I saw a lot of, I, I mean, I mainly, I am tuned with film and meet and movie culture. So I knew about this film. I'd seen the trailer for it a few times in front of a few films, like artsy films that I, I go to. Um, and Billy Eichner's just not a very likable celebrity. That's the problem. He has a social media history. And so... This isn't. This is a new tactic, and it's a. And you have to understand that it's it's a marketing tactic that Hollywood is using. We see it. We see it done with Disney. We see it done with Marvel, which is essentially trying to shame you using, you know, political and cultural hot button issues to shame your ass into shelling out fifty to sixty dollars for them. This can go, you know, Burger King using a rainbow wrapper for Pride Month, for example. And that's this is one of my how all these corporations basically corporatized pride is, is one of my favorite things that I've ever seen. Um, but you're right with Billy Eichner, who, you know, on June 24th tweeted out, get your fictional hateful Bible stories and your fake fictional religious bullshit out of your fucking lives. Fuck you. Well, that's what they did. They, they said, okay, well, all right, these obscure and then, as you said, he stated, uh, let me find it, uh, Mediate, for example, Billy Eichner laments box office flop for his LGBTQ rom-com. Straight people, especially in certain parts of the country, just didn't show up. Well, you insulted basically half of the country. They, you, they did exactly what you asked them to do, which was basically fuck off. And they listened to you. So I don't know, again, uh, what he would rather have. 
this idea that again the country is homophobic or racist which is is one disney likes to put and it's like i said it's they like to stunt cast and then use that stunt casting as a cultural wedge we saw this with kenobi and uh i didn't really watch kenobi i didn't have a ton of interest in it. I'm, I'm not a subscriber for disney plus but they have a sith character who is a african-american female who from everything i read seems perfectly capable in the part and then they try they they go and they find you know tweets from users over here that oh, i don't like you know, black girls a sith yeah and then they use that to show you that the entire star wars culture base is a bunch of racists we saw this with john boyega as the black stormtrooper which I wrote about is one of the first times where you had Atlantic writers holding up a, a few tweets from users with a couple hundred followers or sh shorter than that to prove that the entire culture of star Wars is racist. And we, and we're out to change that. The problem is star Wars had one of the most famous black characters in all of science fiction history in Lando Calrissian. So, and, and empire strikes back made a gazillion dollars as did return of the Jedi. The same thing applies over to, to bros which is you you have a film that just didn't look that appealing. Billy Eichner's reputation is for running up to people on the street and yelling at them. Um, he thinks that's comedy. And then, of course, he has a social media history where he's just constantly telling people to fuck off that, he you know, he sees as bigots or otherizes or whatever. The problem is you can't really push an anti-gay narrative in the era where Moonlight wins Best Picture. Brokeback Mountain... Uh, I'll read something here from you. Brokeback Mountain, remember today is groundbreaking and critically acclaimed film that remains one of the most successful LGBTQ films ever. Ang Lee's love story starring Heath Ledger, Jake Gyllenhaal was nominated for eight Oscars, winning three of them, and it made $178 million on a $14 million budget. Um, you have Oscar winners like Hilary Swank for Boys, Boys Don't Cry. You have, obviously, Philadelphia with Tom Hanks, although all of these Oscars are going to be given back because they weren't woke enough or they weren't actually gay. Um, you have Felicity Huffman in Transamerica, which I've talked about. You have Jared, Jared Leto playing a trans uh, female who won, an, who won an Academy Award. So these films are very successful, and they are critically acclaimed. And odds are, if you can do one well, you're probably going to have a, a big hit on your hands. Um Brokeback Mountain is a great example, for instance. It's not a comedy, and that's a different genre, which I'll get into. But this was a gorgeously shot film with, a, with an expert director with a great script based on a short, a popular short story. And one of the things you remember about Brokeback Mountain is they tried to offend George W. Bush when it came out with it. Um, he'd asked something like, what's a good cowboy movie? And they went, Brokeback Mountain. Or they asked him if he'd seen it. And he just kind of shook it off and nobody was offended by this film because it's a great film and it's, it doesn't matter of, of these two characters who are, you know, secretly in love with each other and they have to go to the mountains to express that or whatever. Rom-coms in general don't hit at the box office anymore. That's just one, one people are limited with their dollars when they go out to the movie theater. If this had been released on Hulu or Netflix, it probably would have done, you know, a good marginal amount of money and it would have probably been somewhat successful. But people right now are very picky about what they choose to spend their money on at, when it goes out to a movie. Part of that is coming out of the pandemic. Part of that is it's an experience now. It's, 50, it's you know, two tickets plus snacks costs upward of 60, 50 bucks. And that most of most of what sells at the movie theater now is fucking Marvel. And that's it. Um 
the one example you would put up against Billy Billy Eichner's film, not as a rom-com, but you look at Maverick. Maverick is now the fifth highest grossing film in the history of cinema as far as theatrical release. And people talk about this. It's not pro-America. It's not, you know, thumping politics at you. It's just a rip-roaring good fucking time at the movies. And that's what people want. And Tom Cruise, for all of his kookiness, uh, knows the secret formula similar to what Michael Jordan is, which is I want people to come see my movie. I don't care if they're black, white, purple, gay, Asian, black, whatever, communist, conservative, liberal. I want your ass in the seat. I want you to come to my movie. And that's the only thing that matters. Billy Eichner. And if you saw his marketing for this film was very much antagonistic towards the audience. He, like he talked about the trailers and he talked and he's like, I don't want the people at my movie. Fuck you. Okay. We did what you told us to. What's the problem? And so Hollywood will continue to use this. Sorry, that's a Frenchie in the background. Um, Hollywood will continue to use this to basically drive a cultural wedge to basically say, oh, you're not going to see Black Panther. Oh, we get it. You're not going to see if it when Black Panther, the original, was one of like the highest grossing Marvel film. And it was largely done on sympathetic media, pushing a pretty subpar story. And we know why that none of that bothers me. That's just what they're going to do. But, um, yeah, Eichner is someone who people are just they're they're repulsed at. And it has nothing to do with the sexuality. The, the best tweet I saw in all of this was someone said, they didn't go see your movie because you're not, because you're gay. They went and saw it because you're an asshole. And that's it. That's literally it. The people just did exactly uh, what he asked them to do. And, and guys like him will either learn from it, or I'm sure he'll go on Kimmel, and Kimmel will humor him, and he'll call half the country, you know, LGBTQ bigots or whatever like that, and they'll just shrug and go, well, okay, um, everybody seemed to love the birdcage, and there's a reason why. Well, no, I totally agree. Um, like Brokeback Mountain, there's memes and people still quote it. So obviously, great movie, right? Yeah, I, I still think it's probably underrated. I think Keith Ledger should have gotten an Academy Award for that role. No, um, no, I agree. And, and yeah, and it's, again, it's not a rom-com. The, when you look at successful romantic comedies in the theater, which ones spring to your mind? Me, as, I, as I'm kind of discussing, obviously, when Harry Met Sally is probably Pretty Woman. The, 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 the Pretty Woman. Uh, the, uh, probably the last one is There's Something About Mary. It was really the last romantic comedy where everyone was like, dude, you just have to go fucking see this movie. Like, <laughs> you just, trust me, it's fucking crazy. You just, I, I, and I can't even spoil it for, hey, why was her hair sticking up? Just go <laughs> see the fucking movie. And, I, you know, I think that that was probably the last and, and another film that should have been nominated for Best Picture, in, in my opinion. Um, and so romantic comedies generally, unless they really land, and they really land because you have charismatic stars who have great chemistry together um, and you have a story and usually, again, a good director. And so I guess you could argue the 40 year old virgin is another one that landed And this. And this this one was produced by Apatow. The other problem to me Judd Apatow has had is the reason why the 40 year old virgin was so good is not so much because of the actors and, and anything in it, although it had it had a great director, it had those actors, it had, you know, Carell and it had Rogan and all those guys, all of those Apatow universe guys. But it told the story of real people. Like, he wasn't, Steve Carell wasn't like an upscale New York book publisher who just happened to never have sex. He was a Best Buy employee. This is a real person. And he lives in an apartment complex and he has action figures and he has quirks. And then you have Catherine Keener, who is trying to start a failing eBay business in a strip mall. And their first date is like at Benny Hanna. 
Um, th- these are real people, and she's a she's a single mother with you know an angsty teen, and these are relatable things. And if there's anything like Judd Apatow's problem is, so Billy Eichner, I guess, in this film is a New York City podcaster. Like what? Who who <laughs> who fucking relates to that? This to me is like a movie that's written in the microcosm of Twitter, and and like the media. Um, what was it in in Apatow's film Knocked Up? It's Seth Rogen, and she's an Entertainment Tonight host. And for some reason, and then what was it? This is 40. Like he's a record producer. Like nobody cares about these. These are not relatable jobs. Um, that's kind of what to me was the problem with Nora Ephron's films at the end. Like, you know, um, the you've got mail was between two upscale New York publishing executives. Like who, what? Nobody cares about that shit. Um, and that's another problem. People like Billy Eichner don't know how to write real people. They only know how to write their experience so hey who wants to who wants to see a movie about a gay new york podcaster turns out nobody there's only so many people employed at npr well well even the birdcage was about a struggling burlesque show or or whatever you want to call it uh and then the, the, the two their their kids are straight and then they all have to kind of meld together and that's actually kind of real life because my my oldest is not to get too personal my oldest is gay and i gotta kind of meld in real life so that's fine um, and oh, by the way, he hated the um, what do you call them? The trailers for Bros. He despised it. He'll never go watch it. Yeah, there's there's something to be said about portraying cultures that it, it almost looks like Eichner's not serious. And you can you know the the, the gay community, for example, um, it, it's almost like he's portraying it like a Saturday Night Live skit, and not you know these are real people with real issues and it's not always just about their sex lives and stuff and maybe i mean i'm not gay so maybe it is i don't know um but this reminded me this debate and this stuff and i spent way too much time on this today but it it just it interests me in the frame of you know we're a we're a racist sexist country and the fact that his movie didn't do well just proves it um moonlight which is just a, a fantastically gorgeous film it's not one i'll watch again um Deserve best picture? Eh, I don't know, um, but uh, the way it was shot was just is just gorgeous. But you know, the, the guy who directed and wrote and directed Moonlight, I think Barry Jenkins uh, is his name. I hope I got that right, or I'm going to be labeled a uh, a racist. Um, I'm going to just look this up real fast. I better have gotten this. I was right, Barry Jenkins. Ah, um, he's one of my favorite quotes about that movie. Is he said, you know, I don't think. In the history of film, I'd ever seen a movie where one black man just cooks a meal for another black man and they just talk. And I thought about that. I think about that quote, you know, in this context. And I'm kind of like, yeah, I think he's right. And it is. I mean, it's a long scene, but it's it's one of these scenes that portrays this intimacy of these characters that have felt love and betrayal. But like Mahershala Ali, again, these are real characters with real struggles and, you know, um, those are generally the kind of films that go, I mean, you can go back to dog day afternoon for fuck's sakes, um, where he's robbing a bank to pay for a sex change operation and you know, and he's broke and he doesn't, he's desperate. And so the idea that this topic is taboo, it's laughable. The problem is, is Eichner is surrounded by a celebrity bubble. And like I said, he'll go on Kimmel and they'll all be like, yeah, you stupid homophobic Mike Pence bigots. Um, and NPR will still promote it and critics will promote it and we'll all be the bad guys. But again, this kind of goes back to what Iggy was saying about just like what reality is. 
um, where, you know, if Eichner would ever sit down and calm the fuck down where we could like have a conversation. I'd love to talk to Billy Eichner over this film, over something like we're doing right now, but he'll never talk to someone like me. And I could say, Hey, how do you explain moonlight? How do you explain the birdcage? Uh, how do you explain, you know, Dog Day Afternoon? How do you explain the fact that so many prominent gay films are award milk for fuck's sakes, Sean Penn and milk is, and I love that film. That's one I'll put on once in a while. Milk um, was fantastic. Yeah, Gus Van Sant, who's no stranger to that topic. Um, and Sean Penn wins an Oscar, and he's great in that movie. And, you know, James Franco, that everyone who's everyone is in that film, Emil Hirsch. And, um, and again, so I look at it and go, how, how is it do you think? And now you can make an argument that there's a cultural difference between what Hollywood values in art and what, say, you or I do. Uh, if I were to poll every listener in this room, odds are you've probably, we're talking about best picture winners, odds are most of you have fucking seen Gladiator, okay? Which, I mean, hey, Roman Gladiators, no, just saying. Um, and probably a third of you have maybe seen Moonlight. Um, and so th there's a value on what culture views, but movies at the end of the day come down to two things right now. One, do I want to drag my ass out to the movie theater to see this? Is this worth my time? Or do I wait now a month? I mean, the, the amount of time where films come on to video on demand and streaming is insane now. Like I, I, I think it's like a month, um, three weeks. And yeah, you have still have to pay 20 bucks if you really want to watch it, but it's there. It, it's the options there. And two, it's, it's word of mouth. Now Maverick, Maverick got made the money it did, even though it was Tom Cruise and it was fighter jets and it was Top Gun. Maverick made the money it did on word of mouth. People were like, you have to just go fucking see this in IMAX. Like, trust me. Um, everything uh, all the time, all at once or whatever that film is, huge fucking box office success. Why? Because people said you need to go out and see this film. It's going to blow your fucking mind. And so if word of mouth isn't there. If people don't say, hey, you know, that affable Billy Eichner has a great romantic comedy out by the by Judd Apatow. He did 40 year old virgin. You'd like that. And people go, oh, really? oh, is it like 40 year old virgin? Yeah, it's just gay. OK, then people will probably go see your fucking movie. And that's all there is to it. Billy Eichner just he he has created a brand for himself. He has to now live by that brand and he has to stick by that brand. And. Uh, I just don't see people buying this. Like even I saw neutral critics today just going, dude, this is not why this film flopped. Um, but again, he's going to push it because he believes that that's where he's going to get the most media to push it. And I, I bet I could Google right now and NPR probably has something and, and New York Times probably has something. Um, I, I, I did read one thing on the New York Times about it where he, they actually just wrote um, you know, here's the reasons why it's a pandemic and it's probably not in everything. And then also that is, and then they wrote at the end and probably homophobia. And it just starts laughing because you knew they had to put it in there. So, uh, but well, I'll give you the last a, bit. There's a culture, the there's a culture, uh, there's gay culture and it's strong and they, they support each other. And if this movie made $15 in a weekend, uh, it's a bad movie. Yeah, and and it does and it does and it has nothing. You know, part of it I think has to do with just him personally just repelled people. He said, "I don't want people seeing this film." Okay, <laughs> I mean, studios and you know, with how much Mar I guess I was I, I saw a thing with Kyle Smith from the Wall Street Journal. They put thirty million dollars behind this. That's not peanuts. I mean, that's a lot of money to get the trailer and, you know, out into theaters, posters, you know, to get this in front of, you know, eyeballs. And I, I saw this trailer, I think three or four times, uh, in three or four different types of films. And every single fucking time there were just groans in the theater. 
And I guess, I guess I was at, you know, at the Alamo art house theater with a bunch of Mike (laughs) Pence loving bigots. So give me the last word. All right. My last word is uh, I'm former Navy and Adam Kinziger. Oh my God. What is wrong with him? I don't, I get, I get blamed. My, I got, I got, uh, veterans, my friends are veterans, and some of them are, are uh, Marines, some of them are Army, some of them are Air Force, and they keep coming at me. What's wrong with boy? I'm like, he's not my boy. He's a bus driver. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, you're shaming the Navy, Adam. Um, I think part of it is that Donald Trump's Twitter addiction created basically an entire generation of politicians that, while not tweeting like him, see the value and power in it if they can do it right. The problem is Trump had been tweeting since 2011, and he had eight years and years and years. So now when you think of politicians on Twitter, you think of these people. You think of Kinzinger, Swalwell, Ocasio-Cortez, uh, Omar, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Baber. So they, they're trying to figure out how to harness Twitter for one you know, for him, his post office brand, which he has a pack. Um, I saw things where they said he was drunk. I don't know. I don't necessarily believe no, no, that. He's I been just, doing that I, for I a just while. Think, I just think he's fucking stupid. And he goes after baseball crank. And you have to understand he's also a politician. So when you catch him in a lie or you catch him being like, dude, what are you doing? Um, he's going to just double down and not admit his mistake. Before uh, I, got I, kicked I saw off people Twitter, saying he... I saw people saying he's doing this for uh, an MSNBC contract or a CNN contract, and yeah, Maybe. I think there's probably a little bit of Maybe. truth to that. Um, but my concern with Kinzinger and and my concern about politicians that are doing this is you have to remember he's a sitting member of Congress with subpoena power, and when he is going after private citizens on social media platforms, and he he's doing this with that enumerated you know, enumerate power behind him. That should be, that should be worrying to everybody that you have politicians essentially going after. And yes, I I didn't like it when Trump did it either. Um, But people like Kinzinger and people like that and people like Swalwell, Swalwell's like, well, what the fuck are you going to do with your guns? I'll just nuke you. Um, That was my concern with him. And he said, you know, he, you know, when people came out and were like, what are you talking about? He's not a Putin stooge. Um, accusing someone of that in this day and age from a member of Congress, I mean, you look at this and you go, is this, am I high? Is, are we back to the Joseph McCarthy era here? Like, what the fuck is going on here? Um, but you have to remember that when a sitting member of Congress levies an accusation at someone, they have real power behind them to do that. It's not just calling someone a name on Twitter and it's not just a shit post. Um, this is someone with real constitutional authority uh, where if he gets in a fight with, you know, Dan McLaughlin and I don't know, maybe Dan McLaughlin gets audited all of a sudden or something. These are things that people should be paying attention to when members of Congress do this shit. I don't care about Anna Kinzinger's opinions on Trump. I don't care about him on Ukraine. I don't care. I don't care about any of that. I care when I see a sitting member of Congress daring a private citizen to engage with him on Twitter. And that's what he said. He goes, well, why is he engaging with me? What's the point here? What? No. Why are you doing this on a Saturday night? Why are you, sir, spending your Saturday night uh, leveling accusations at someone who is, you know, who has a profile who can thankfully push back? Dan McLaughlin could just point to things he's written and say, what are you talking about? I'm not a Putin stooge. Are you fucking high right now? But to me, the issue is, and this is an issue with more people than just Kinzinger, is when members of Congress can just go after private citizens on 
social media. They used to do this shit on the floor, on the house, on the floor. Harry Reid demanding that the United States Senate censure Rush Limbaugh um, over Limbaugh's comments about how they were Democrats were using veterans. And that was one of the first instances. I'm like, hold on here. Do, do you understand what he's doing? You have the fucking minority leader of the United States Senate and Rush Limbaugh is a private citizen demanding that the U.S. Congress censure a private citizen for expressing an opinion. And that kind of sentiment is now boiled over to social media platforms. And so my concern isn't with his sobriety level and my concern isn't with his MSNBC hopeful contract. My concern is that on a Saturday night, a sitting U.S. member of Congress, thank God, not for very much longer, uh, is using his uh, weight and his power to basically go after a private citizen for no reason and put aside the fact that he was incorrect in all of his assertions. Um, if you saw my tweets at him that night, I just said, hey, if I if I deny the results of the 2020 election, will you call me to testify so I can call you a fucking cocksucker to your face? Because I will. And so I, I'm just like the 2020 election was stolen, you know, and this call me to testify now, because that seems to be the other new popular thing of the moment is calling private citizens in front of the January 6th committee to testify about their text messages and emails. Um, I see a lot of problems with that kind of stuff. Well, I, my final my final word, I'm sorry, uh, my final word is uh, I'd like to tell the FBI and NSA who was listening in right now that I lost all my guns and ammo on an unfortunate fishing accident and uh, have a good night. How do you know I'm not the Fed? Uh, Pierce, uh, we'll finish up with Pierce, Ian, and Jacqueline. So we're going a little bit late, but that's okay. Pierce, uh, any more tier ideas for me for October? <laughs> no, I don't want to get to those yet. Uh, still have a few things to say. Number one, uh, Bro's uh, movie, I, I'm with Noam Bloom. I didn't see any real advertising on that. Maybe I'm just not the demo. Did, uh, did you go out you know, to the that dem- theater? That... Did you see trailers or anything? I saw I saw Top Gun must uh, Maverick and maybe it was in there, but if it was, it was it was forgettable. Or maybe I just like looked away because I just yeah, didn't I mean, want to watch I, it. I, I saw it prior to a few. I didn't see it. I don't think prior to Maverick. That would have been funny actually to see that reaction. Um, but I did I did see the. I think I if I had to guess, I saw it three times in front of three different films. Okay. Um, but that is the only time I saw marketing for it. I didn't see it on Twitter. I didn't see it anywhere else, but I did see the trailer three times. Yeah. Hearing your description, it sounds like they were going for that, that amazingly large, uh, crossover demo of, of rich gay socialists who are also ex Vox videographers. That just sounded like right up that alley. It was weird. Uh, anyway, I just have a quick uh, request for you. Uh, probably maybe not this call in, but in the future, maybe podcast or call in. Uh, so we have like North Korea aggressing on Japan, uh, whether that was uh, a malfunction or planned, whatever. Uh, I was curious if you could kind of lay out for us, maybe do like a little class on what to expect when you have uh, a president with a very sympathetic press uh, get into a wartime and begin making mistakes. Like, should we be looking for soft reporting like what uh, the press has currently done with not uh, talking about COVID deaths anymore? I was just, uh, I think that'd be a topic that I'd be interested in hearing. So anyway, thanks a lot. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the hundred percent reason you have to understand why they're doing it and why you understand and why they did it during the campaign is because they believe any even tepid criticism of Biden opens the door for Trump to be president again. And they don't want that. They believe it's their job to stop the country from doing that. Now, um, 
you're going to see a magic trick, which is if and or when Trump announces, and I do believe he will, um, you're going to see uh, this strategy that they used during the midterm and in the 2016 election to elevate Trump over the field. And then the one the Democrats are using now in this election, and they're going to do the very same fucking thing. Their goal is to get put a microphone in front of Donald Trump to say even more crazier shit than he said the first time, because they are absolutely convinced if they do that and Republican voters choose Trump, that the country itself will not choose him again. And my, I just shrug and I go, watch us. Like, don't test us on this because we fucking absolutely will put that lunatic back in the Oval Office if it means $2 gas again. Ian, good to see you. Go ahead. I know. I know. There he is. Yeah. I know you know how to use the mute button, so go ahead. Yeah, sorry. I didn't realize that Pierce had already jumped off. Uh, so I could ask about the economy that's about to crumble or nuclear war that's probably going to happen over in Russia or any of the many things like that. But more importantly, what are your thoughts on the NHL season that's happening in the next, that's starting on Friday, technically? Uh, I'm interested, uh, if I had to say, uh, I'm interested to see how my avalanche start. I can't fucking believe that it's like, I I think, and Jacqueline can probably attest to this is like when your team wins the cup and you spend all summer, like seeing them taking places. And now you're like, holy shit, they, they are starting their season again. Like right now. Um, it's mostly a, a team that's fully intact. They obviously lost Kadri, but I don't think Kadri's going to be as good as he was without the cast around him. I'm convinced of that. Um, so I want to see how they how they start. Do they start out wanting, you know, hey, fuck it, we're going for it again, and we're not going to we're not going to rest? Uh, or is there a slump like there usually is? It's usually like a ten to twenty game slump to get into the season. Uh, I'm interested to see how if I had to pick one storyline i'm interested to see how well the ottawa senators do i think that they made some really super fun interesting moves uh in the offseason i i think what the senators proved is that claude Giroux doesn't want to win a stanley cup (laughs) the fact that he chose to go to ottawa over re-signing with florida or somebody else or he could have taken less money in colorado could have taken him but um I'm real interested to see what Ottawa does. I think that they made some of the most interesting, <clears throat> excuse me, moves. Obviously, I want to see if the Toronto Maple Leafs can get out of the first round of the playoffs. That's a while. I don't really start paying heavy attention to hockey until basically January or February, but that's everybody. Um, but yeah, I, I'm excited to see how, how my Avalanche do. I'm excited to see how my Islanders do as well. I adopted the Islanders when I moved to New York, and they've really taken three or four steps back um, in the last three or four years, but that does not stop the fact that I do own a Cal Clutterbuck jersey. So uh, that's pretty much it right now. I think the fucking Seattle Kraken mascot needs to be set on fire. It's it's like because of that fat fuck ginger in Philadelphia, the, the gritty thing, every NHL is like, how can we just top that asshole now? And so every fucking mascot now is just getting worse and worse and freakier and worse. And it just, it looks like it's a goddamn furry convention now for the NHL. So Jacqueline, uh, will bring us home. Let us know how you're doing down there in Florida recovering. Uh, you might have some unique insight to what we talked about with DeSantis and the media throwing anything that they can at this whole thing, as opposed to just reporting what's happening. But, uh, go ahead and bring us home. We'll finish with you. 
Okay, I was just going to respond to the first caller. I can't remember his name was John or Josh from Lake Worth, uh, Florida. And huh? Go ahead. Just I think that was his name. Okay. Yeah, but just to um because people don't know the you know, geography of Florida. Lake Worth is in Palm Beach County, which is a very democratic county. So I'm actually not too surprised that he, when he said that even local media was censoring some of the stuff and kind of talking shit about DeSantis. Because I live in Hillsborough County, which is, like I said, where Tampa is. And it's a lot more even split. It's on the I-4 corridor, and that's what they always look at during elections. Because it's kind of like a 50 to 48 type place and you never know which way it's gonna go so they look between Pinellas County Hillsborough County well we know Polk County's going red because you have Grady Judd there it's gonna shoot everybody and then Orlando but um South Florida is pretty much all Democratic cities so I don't know because I've seen video of DeSantis since Sunday, and the hurricane didn't start coming until Tuesday evening, and on Sunday he was telling people to start leaving Fort Myers. So for the media to say that he didn't warn them to evacuate is just a straight-up lie. Yes, the track changed last minute, but if you have 48 hours to leave... You have time to leave, and obviously not everyone's able to leave. Like, every, like there's people that are disabled, there's people that don't have money or have family that live somewhere that's safer. So I get that's going to happen, and people are going to die, and that obviously sucks. But DeSantis j- did tell people at least 48 hours in advance to start leaving that area. So that's just a straight up lie from Maggie Haberman and everyone else in the media. I thought Haberman sharing that was interesting. Um, not because she's credible or anything like that, uh, but she's generally moderate left. And the fact that she's just, it, the funniest thing that Haberman does, and, and, and I've, I've said this in my podcast, I've met her before. I've had coffee with her a few times before, not anymore. Um, but, uh, the funny thing about her is when she tacitly endorses something, all she does is post the link. She doesn't tweet. She doesn't do emoji. She doesn't do, she doesn't add her own thing. So like on that tweet, she added two words to it where she was just like damage and death or whatever. And I'm going to see if I can actually find exactly what she, what she wrote. Um, I'm just going to scroll down here, right here. Uh, she basically said a delayed evacuation and a massive death toll. And she was linking to the New York Times story. And that's her way of just going up. Oh, see, here, they, they delayed the evacuation. And then if you saw this again, the CNN reporter tried to do this. And when, and when she does that, um, that is to me is opens the door for other journalists to jump into that narrative. And that's all it is. It's so when she's, she's, there was a delayed evacuation. Now all of a sudden you have more reporters who are going to go after this. And then finally it gets to the CNN reporter who hasn't actually looked into the facts of a delayed evacuation. 
So she only hits him with the basic question that she sees floating around on Twitter. Well, we've learned DeSantis isn't Trump. So he had more of a command of the facts and the timing of the evacuation and why it happened. And like I said, she's just left speechless. Like she's just, okay, thanks. And he's done that a few times. He did that to the 60 Minutes reporter who attacked him because he he was getting uh, where he was opening vaccination sites to there to them was not equitable because they weren't in poor black neighborhoods. And he shut her down because he just he basically said, here's everywhere we open sites. We're protecting vulnerable populations first. And that's how we're doing it. And so to see her kind of jump into that was really interesting because to me, that's like, well, this is what they're going to try to use. Uh, when she tweeted that, and I'm not this full believer in what ratios mean, but generally they're bad. Uh, she said the delayed evacuation and a massive death toll. It was up to 35 people. Um, I think a total 83. That's fewer than died in the tower collapse. Okay. I mean, let's get some perspective here. Uh, and so the amount of replies were 2,444 and the amount of favorites and retweets were 500 and 430. So it it's not working is the point. And this will be gone tomorrow. And like I said, they, they went through the looting talking point and that was gone. And this kind of the point of why I chose this topic, because they are literally trying to careen from one scandal to the, you know, to the next, trying to find something. This is not journalism. This is not reporting on what's happening. This is, again, narrative hunting, where you're looking for something. You're just looking for the for the one thing that you think is going to ding this guy because he all made you mad over dropping, you know, immigrants off in your wealthy uh, elite progressive media enclave that you, you want to stay clean and not not so much full of immigrants. Um, and so, like you said, when we talked about this last thing, when Iggy talked about propaganda, you know, this is one of these where the Slack channels are lit up. And they're saying, did you hear about this thing about the looting comments? Oh, you have to see this. And then the journalist goes out and they tweet out the looting comments. And then Joy Reid gets it. He goes, he's a segregationist. And you just, you roll your eyes. Um, that's that's the Joy Reid uh, who's currently employed alongside uh, Stephen Hayes of the Dispatch, by the way. So, Jacqueline, I'll go ahead and give you the last word. We can all get out of here. Okay, yeah. Um, last thing. Also, one thing I was going to bring up was the looting. Because I told you last uh, podcast that I didn't see any reports of looting. So I ended up going to look for stuff to see. And I did see a couple, I found a couple news reports in Fort Myers. Which kind of makes sense because they were the most destroyed. And, but yes, the DeSantis did say that, like, don't go looting. I guess there were a couple instances, but... Like I was saying back in 2004, when different hurricanes came through, there was like Best Buy's got wiped out. So I'm sure they were looking for food at Best Buy. And so like stuff like that was happening during every hurricane. We got hit by four. And um, also one of my friends was actually taking a vacation in the UK during the whole time before we knew it was going to change directions or really before we knew it was going to hit us. And she was there for 10 days. And so I told her I would spray paint a plywood sign saying, if you loot, we should shoot and put it at her front door just because that's what we do down here. 
Yeah, and that's it wasn't it wasn't even that there was looting, it's his comments not to do it. And the media just again, it's it's trying to turn something into a controversy that most people say um it, it's just not a controversy. And again, it feels like they've gone hunting. So um are you are you real quickly, uh, I want to be out here in the next three minutes, but are you repaired down there? Are powers back on and everything? Yeah, power's back on, internet's back on, so I'm able to watch the TVs now nowadays. And oh, I was gonna say one thing when you guys were talking about movies or TV shows, I didn't. I was gonna ask you because I don't think you. I think you said you don't have Netflix anymore, but the G word about like the the G men, it's like an Obama produced thing about the government agencies and stuff on netflix i didn't know if you've heard of it i just read an article about it today but i haven't i have not it was it was, it was okay. produced it was produced I haven't by watched, i haven't watched it produced it. by obama yeah yeah barack obama's the producer and the guy from adam ruins everything is the um host i guess and I saw like they talk about FEMA, the Ag Department, uh, different like smaller departments that most people don't know about. I don't know. I was going to see if it's worth watching, but I haven't watched it yet, and I just didn't know if you watched it. Then I remembered that you said that you got rid of Netflix. Yeah, I I didn't get rid of it for any ideological thing. Like generally, what I'll do is if something comes out that I think, you know, might be interesting. I'll just re up the subscription for a month and say, okay. Um, so I did, I did that to, to check out Dahmer. I watched the first two episodes of Dahmer and I haven't gone back to it. I'm just like, eh, okay. Um, I think I get the gist of it in the first episode. Um, but usually it's not political. It's not ideological. I just, I don't watch it. And, uh, so if something comes on that will interest me, um, like I, I re upped it for Bo Burnham and, for a couple things like that. And then Bill Burr, I saw has a new Spanish. So I was like, okay, Bill Burr's at Red Rocks. And uh, so I'll do it for that. But uh, I, I just don't watch it. And that's, I, this is one of the interesting things about street, you know, Netflix had to cut jobs and they cut because of how many people basically are, they're pouring so much money into programming and they're not getting revenue in. And so my other problems like Netflix original programming is how it all looks cheap to me. It all kind of looks like digital soap opera-ish television and that's also just my own personal taste like i like things that look cinematic so even things like the witcher or whatever just look cheap to me so that's pretty much it but no i had not i have not heard about this i'm i'm not really interested in barack obama's producing career i find it you know interestingly ironic that we had a president who started out as a television producer wanting to become president and then we have a president who decided he wanted to go be a producer so uh, but check it out if, and let us know what you think about it. I'm, I mean, I'm interested in the sense of the kind of programming and propaganda Obama's trying to put out there, but uh, I, I, I haven't heard of this and I probably don't, I'm not going to see it. Okay. Well, that was it. So good night, everyone. Great. Thanks, Jackie. Glad you're safe and your power's back on down there. Um, this has been episode 48, Teferon. Uh, the, the title was purposely stupid because they're all purposely stupid. Uh, so again, thanks to, uh, my callers. It's, it was good seeing, uh, some new faces, some, some new voices. Iggy was great. Jess is great. Um, Bo is great. So it's always fun to hear from some new people. So again, don't be afraid if you're a regular listener or whatever, and you're shy or whatever like that, it's not, it's not a big deal. Uh, I'm just as full of shit as the next person. So don't be afraid to, to jump up and join the conversation. 
Um, this is Versus Media Live on call-in. I will be back on Patreon Wednesday. Uh, because I'm not going to be able to record tomorrow. And uh, I'll talk more a little bit about why on Wednesday. Um, but if you have topics or anything of interest, anything that jogs your mind, feel free to subscribe over there and leave comments, questions. And uh, we'll jump into that fun stuff on Wednesday. I probably want to jump more about uh, this because God knows they're going to come up with two or three insane things uh, as well between now and then. So stay tuned for that. Uh, I'm Stephen L. Miller. This is Versus Media Live on Call-In. And I will have this episode published for you to listen back on. If you want to spread it, retweet, send it out, whatever. Uh, I should have this published uh, tomorrow as I like to kind of delay the publishing. So you guys who join uh, get to kind of experience it live. So I will see you then and I will see you guys back on Patreon. I may be back here uh, tomorrow or Wednesday, depending on as well to make up for the podcast. So, but just stay tuned when the room launches and you get alerts. So I will see you guys either way. Uh, either tomorrow or on Patreon Wednesday. Cheers.